Thank you for listening to the Soul City Church podcast. Be sure to follow us on our Facebook and Instagram at Soul City Church. For more information, visit us on our website, soulcitychurch.com. Alexandria Anaya Rubio. Ava Mireles. McKenna Elrod. Alethea Ramirez. Irma Garcia. Miranda Mathis. Mary Jo Garza. Jackie Cazares. Nevea Bravo. Maite Juliana Rodriguez. Annabel Guadalupe Rodriguez. Jaila Nicole Seguero, Rogelio Torres, Eliana Cruz Torres, Jose Flores Jr., Uzziah Garcia, Eli Lugo Garcoa, Tess Mata, Jace Carmelo Levanos, Xavier Lopez. There is something wrong in our world. Those are just some of the names of the more than 20 children and teachers that were murdered by an 18-year-old gunman who walked into Robb Elementary School in Uvalde, Texas earlier this week. This mass shooting, unimaginably, is one of hundreds that has occurred in our country this year. And this week, yet another tragedy of this sort has sent an entire community and even our entire nation into sudden, deep grief. This senseless act of violence occurred just two weeks after the racially motivated mass shootings outside of Buffalo, New York at a grocery store. Another tragedy that not only brought unimaginable pain onto yet another community, but a tragedy that triggered the trauma of generational suffering that many of our black and brown brothers and sisters walk around with every day, wrongfully, tragically, because of the sin of racism. The headlines may have moved on from Buffalo, but many in this room have not in their hearts. There's something wrong in our world. When you think about the fact that even in the middle of AAPI Heritage Month, even as our country is seeking to celebrate and honor the cultures and stories of our Asian American friends, even in the middle of their month of celebration, so many of our AAPI brothers and sisters, my two friends who just sang this song, are still regularly subjected to racist comments and actions regarding their physical appearance, friends who can't even walk their dogs without being blamed for a pandemic that they themselves had no hand in causing. Or when you think about a two and a half year old pandemic, a pandemic that is still not only inconveniencing us in small ways, but a pandemic that is still robbing many people of their lives, specifically the most vulnerable among us. 
We're talking about the poor, the houseless, the undocumented, the elderly. COVID-19 is often most cruel to those who have the least amount of resources to fight against it. There is something wrong in our world, and not just in our country, not just on an international scale either, but for every national and global headline of suffering that we read, for every one of those, you better believe there are hundreds, even thousands, of stories of personal pain and personal heartache that maybe we have no idea about unless they're in your own life. Last year, my wife Erin and I, we got a call from some friends of ours who live on the West Coast. Surprise, they said, we're pregnant. Their excitement was palpable. Erin screamed. I screamed because her scream scared me. (laughs) But we all celebrated this joyous, joyous moment together. And then 20 weeks later, we got a very different phone call from those friends. We lost the baby, they said. And over the course of just one 30-minute routine checkup appointment, our friends were thrown into this season of grief that they did not ask for and that they were not ready for. A few weeks ago, I had the privilege of driving to the distant land of Rockford, Illinois. (laughs) Headed up there to attend the funeral of a friend's father. These two daughters, who have been my friends for the last 10 years or so, they lost their mother in 2014 to cancer while they were both still in high school. And then two weeks ago, I wept with my two friends next to their father's coffin as the same disease took their dad's life just eight years after it took their mom. At the beginning of 2020, just before the COVID-19 lockdowns, I received another call, this time from my mother, informing me that my father was moving out. And seemingly out of nowhere, at least to me and my sister, their over 30-year marriage was ending in divorce. The two and a half years since then have been a journey of deep loneliness and isolation for both of my parents, and a wrestling with unrealized childhood trauma for my sister and I. Because of the pandemic and a lack of in-person court dates, it only took my parents five months to finalize their divorce. But the pain that exists within my family is still very, very much alive today. And I'm sure for every painful story from my own life that I could share, you can probably think of about 10 from your own. And so whether it's your journey with suffering or whether it's mine, whether it's the still very much ongoing war in the Ukraine, whether it's the water crisis, the houseless and suicide rates of LGBTQ youth, whether it's gun violence in our own country or a mental health struggle in your own mind, when I think of all of this pain, when I look at all of this hurt, when I see all of this tragedy, there are two things that I know for certain. Number one, I'll say it again, there is something wrong in our world. And the second thing I know for certain is that you all didn't ask for any of that when you showed up for church today. Some of you are thinking to yourselves right now, gee, John, it's Memorial Day weekend. Can't we keep it light? Maybe I should head off to the barbecue a little early. I understand that. I really do. But we we are in this teaching series right now called Does God Really Care About? And this week, as Kelly said, we have arrived at the question, does God really care about suffering? 
And, and before I move any further into this teaching, I, I just want to share a little bit of my heart and my intention behind this time. And, and so for those who don't know me, hi, my name's John. I'm one of the pastors here. It's re- it's, it really is good to be here with all of you. And, and as you have already heard, we're going to be discussing some heavy things today. But please know that my goal is in no way to depress you or bum you out as you head into your hot, beautiful holiday weekend. It's not my hope. We're going to name some traumas in this room today, some of which you may have personal experience with them. My prayer is that the, the mention of these things, that it would not unnecessarily trigger you in any way. It's not what I'm trying to do. As you can see, some emotions might pop up for some of us here today. Some already have. That is totally okay. And please know, it's not my goal to create an emotionally manipulative environment in here. My hope and my prayer, as I've been walking around with God, preparing these words for the last several months, and especially this past week, my hope is that we would create a safe space a safe space in here for us to wrestle together with these questions that I think at one point or another every single one of us faces. Because we hear stories like the ones that I just shared. We walk through weeks like the one we just had and the very popular, very obvious, and even very fair question is how could a good God allow all of that evil and suffering to happen? You might think about the suffering in your own life or that of a loved one or you look at the suffering that occurs around the world and you just think to yourself, where where is God in all of that? You look at things like loss and oppression and evil and corruption and violence and all the suffering that it causes and you might think, where does all of that evil come from? What does God think when he sees all of that? Why doesn't God do something and stop it? Does God really actually care about all this suffering that human beings walk through? Maybe I'm the only one who's ever asked these questions, but I doubt it. And I also know that in the short time that we have here together, there's absolutely no way that I could cover or say all that can and should be said on this topic. And so I hope right up front, I hope you all can forgive me for all of the very important things that I am going to fail to mention over the next couple of minutes. But, but my hope and my prayer, again, for these next couple minutes together is simply for us to wrestle with two questions. Number one, where does suffering come from? Specifically, according to the biblical Christian worldview, what's the starting place? Where does all this suffering come from? And then secondly, what do we do with our suffering? When we have weeks like we just had, when we get unexpected phone calls like we just talked about, what do we do with that pain? Where do we go with that hurt? And so my request for, for all of you as we walk through this together would just be this, that, that, you would, that you would take a posture of openness and I just ask that you would trust. That, that you would trust that I, as one of your pastors, I have been as prayerful and as diligent and as thoughtful as I know how to be in preparing these words. And more than that, beyond that, more importantly than that, I ask that you, you would take a leap of faith and that you would trust the Holy Spirit. That in this room today, you would trust that God is indeed the good shepherd who is with you, who walks with us, even as we enter and walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Can we all do that together today?
That's good. All right. So this is the moment where, where you're supposed to grab a Bible. So uh, why don't you reach under the seat in front of you and go ahead, um, grab a Bible. There's a Soul City Bible underneath the seat in front of you. Uh, and you can open that up to Genesis chapter one if you're worshiping with us online. Welcome, welcome, welcome. So glad you decided to tune in. You can grab your own Bible, open up to Genesis one, page one of the Bible. Actually in the Soul City Bible, we're gonna be looking at a section that's on page two. but. Regardless, uh, we're going to be looking at Genesis chapter 1 for a moment. For those who don't know, Genesis 1 is the first word. It is the first story that the scriptures have to offer. For those who aren't familiar, Genesis 1 is the biblical creation account. And in it, we read that in six days, God creates Everything. God creates everything in Genesis 1. Sun, moon, stars, plants, seas, trees, the Chicago Bears, the whole thing. God creates everything. And then at the very end of Genesis 1, we're going to be looking at verse 31. At the end of those six days, it says this. Verse 31, God saw all that he had made, and it was very what? It was very Good, it was very good. So why do we start here? What, what do we see here? We, we start here because in Genesis 1, we learn very simply that God created a good world. Everything God created is good, except for the Chicago Bears, who are only good every seven to 10 years. But everything else that God created is good. We learn in Genesis 1 that while our world today is indeed broken, Genesis 1 tells us that it has not always been that way. But God's original creation was a world of goodness, a world of flourishing and beauty, a world that was filled with what the Hebrew language calls shalom, this deep, abiding, true peace. In Genesis 1, we learn that God did not create suffering. It doesn't say that on day five, God said, let there be suffering in the world. That's nowhere to be found. And yet, we all know that suffering is a part of the human story. And so where does that come from? Well, to get the answer, at least according to the Bible, we would have to turn a few chapters to Genesis chapter three. So go ahead and turn to Genesis chapter three. We're gonna look at the very beginning here as we walk through this story. Genesis 3, verse 1. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? By the way, if you read Genesis 1 and 2, you know that God didn't actually say that. What God actually said was you can eat from any tree in the garden that you want except for one. So we see the serpent, we see the enemy show up and just try and twist God's words ever so slightly. Let's keep going. Verse two, the woman calls out the serpent. The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for fruit and pleasing to the eye, do you remember in Genesis 1.31, it said, and God saw and it was very good. So according to Genesis 1, God is the one who sees and decides what is good. But who sees here in Genesis 3? The woman, humans, 
What she, what's happening here is humans are trying to take the place of God and see and decide what is good for themselves. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her the whole time and just as guilty as she was, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked. And the original language here insinuates there was a feeling of deep shame. And so they sewed fig leaves together and they made coverings for themselves. This moment in the scriptures is what most theologians and scholars point to as the introduction of sin into the human story. And when I say sin, I mean human separation from God. Sin meaning choosing and living in opposition to the ways and will and desire of God. In Genesis, God sets the boundary lines for humans for how they are to live according to his design. And with the help of the serpent, man and woman choose to break those boundary lines. They choose to turn their backs on God. And so sin first enters the story here in Genesis 3, and everything changes after this moment. From this moment on, The goodness of God's created world from Genesis 1, the goodness of God's created world is now marred by evil. The completeness of creation is fractured and broken. That beautiful, intimate, personal relationship between God and humans, that relationship is now defined by separation and mistrust. And a suffering world is the result. So in Genesis 3, we learn that the root of the world's pain, the starting place for the world's suffering is not God, but we learn that the source of suffering is sin. The source of the world's suffering is sin, at least according to the scriptures. So we know that suffering is not a product that is passed down by this angry, malicious dictator God who just wants to play with humans like puppets for his own pleasure. The Bible depicts a God that is actually the exact opposite. The Bible depicts a God who has a deep and abiding love for humanity. So much so that he was willing to give us choice. He was willing to give us agency. He gives man and woman free will. Because that's what you do when you love someone, isn't it? You give them the dignity to choose how they will respond to that love. And when the human response to God's love is to turn our backs on him, like in Genesis 3, when the human response to God's faithfulness is to live in unfaithfulness, when our response to this beautiful agency in life that God has given us is to choose to sin, that's when suffering occurs. The source of suffering is sin. That was true in Genesis 3, and by the way, that is still true in our day. For example, you think about anyone who has ever had to endure the suffering that is caused by the evil of abuse, whether it be mental, emotional, physical, sexual, spiritual, the source of that suffering was not God. The source of that suffering was not the behavior or the actions of the person being abused. That suffering is not their fault. The source of that suffering is the sin of the abuser. But you should also know that it is rarely ever a simple kind of one-to-one connection. I'll use another example. You think about 
the suffering that many incarcerated or formerly incarcerated folks face in our country. You think about the mental and emotional trauma that they carry. Think about the discrimination that they face when when trying to find stable housing or stable employment after they've been released from prison. You think of that suffering. That suffering in an incarcerated or formerly incarcerated person's life, that suffering is not the result of a specific singular sin. It wasn't the result of one person's sinful choice, but more accurately, that suffering is the result of compounded sin and compounded corruption that exists within a much larger system. And when a system gets infected with sin, then suffering starts to perpetuate itself. In our country, we are no strangers to the sin that exists at an institutional and systemic level. Nor are we strangers to it even in the church. Much of the suffering that has been caused by the church over the last 2,000 years, that suffering in a very backwards, upside down, sad way, that suffering is the result of the church's sin. It's the result of both people and institutions that claim the name of God, failing to actually live out and represent the heart of God in the world. Now, now, now hear me, I, I do need to make one thing clear. I am not up here saying that every bit of suffering that you face in your life is the direct result or repercussion of a sin that was committed by you or by someone else. That's not what I'm saying. That's not how this works. That's not how God works. What I'm sharing with you is the biblical perspective that says that we live in a world where we all Sometimes directly, but mostly indirectly, we all experience the effects of sin. And the effect of sin on the human race as a collective, the effect of sin is suffering to one degree or another. And you also may sit here and start to think about your own suffering that you've faced. Or maybe even that you are facing right now. And you hear me say things like the source of suffering is sin And there's a little temptation that pops up in your mind to try and connect the dots when it comes to your own pain. There's a temptation that says, maybe I can figure out whose sin is really to blame here. And like we said, sometimes that connection is a little bit easier to see, but I'll tell you, most of the time, most of the time that is a fruitless endeavor. Because most of the time, you can't connect the dots. Most of the time, when the diagnosis comes back, or when the person doesn't wake up, or when the marriage falls apart, or when another man walks into an elementary school with a gun, most of the time, it doesn't make sense because suffering rarely ever makes sense. And, and so while I do think it is, it is helpful for us to intellectually and even theologically understand the source of suffering, you and I both know that the reality is no explanation of suffering could ever provide full comfort to anyone's experience of suffering. We can't trivialize it. We can't explain it away. We can't intellectualize it. And so I actually don't think the most helpful question for us to ask, I don't think the helpful question is, how do we make sense of suffering? Because when suffering comes calling, it almost never makes sense. I think a much more helpful question for us to wrestle with is what do we do with our suffering. Because again, the reality is, 
each and every one of us is going to face it at one point or another. Each and every one of us has. Some of us are. And if you're not right now, you will again. And so what do we do? Where do we go when this unwelcome neighbor comes calling? So I need you to do me a favor. I need you to turn ahead in your Bibles one more time to the middle of your Bibles. I need you to turn to Psalm 88. Psalm 88 is on page 478 in the Soul City Bible, page 478. I want to show you something real quick. For those who maybe aren't familiar, the the book of Psalms, it is a collection of songs and poems written to God by and for the people of God. It's just a collection of poems. And so I want to read Psalm 88, this poem written to God. I just want to read it over you. And I want you to see if you notice anything as I read. So Psalm 88 says this. Lord, you are the God who saves me. Day and night I cry out to you. May my prayer come before you. Turn your ear to my cry. I am overwhelmed with troubles and my life draws near to death. I am counted among those who go down to the pit. I am like one without strength. I am set apart with the dead, like the slain who lie in the grave, whom you remember no more, who are cut off from your care. You have put me in the lowest pit, in the darkest depths. Your wrath lies heavily on me. You have overwhelmed me with all of your waves. You have taken from me my closest friends and have made me repulsive to them. I am confined and cannot escape. My eyes are dim with grief. I call to you, Lord, every day. I spread out my hands to you. Do you show your wonders to the dead? Do their spirits rise up and praise you? Is your love declared in the grave, your faithfulness in destruction? Are your wonders known in the place of darkness or your righteous deeds in the land of oblivion? But I cry to you for help, Lord. In the morning, my prayer comes before you. Why, Lord, do you reject me? Why do you hide your face from me? From my youth, I have suffered and been close to death. I have borne your terrors and I am in despair. Your wrath has swept over me. Your terrors have destroyed me all day long. They surround me like a flood. They have completely engulfed me. You have taken from me friend and neighbor. Darkness is my closest friend. What do you notice? It's kind of a downer, right? It's like emo rock. This is heavy metal in the Bible. This passage that that we just read is often referred to as a psalm of lament. And the whole purpose of the genre of lament is for both the author and the reader to wrestle with hardship. The whole purpose of lament is to give voice to suffering, to pray through pain. You felt how raw and open and even messy the author got with their prayer to God. And you might be tempted to think that this type of prayer is rare to find in the scriptures. That that this type of open bemoaning of sorrow, that that's the exception to the otherwise kind of happy-go-lucky version of faith that many of us are accustomed to, especially in the West. But I just want to fact check that real quick. Because the book of Psalms, as we already said, have 150 songs and poems 
And I want you to know that one third of those songs are songs of lament. One third of them are poems just like the one we read, psalms of hurt, psalms of grief, psalms of sorrow and frustration and anger. And even outside of the Psalms, there are entire books of the Bible. There are entire sections of scripture that are specifically dedicated to the lamenting of suffering that human beings face. So so why do I give you this Bible lesson? Why do I show you all of this? Because I want you to see that not only does the Bible provide an answer for where suffering comes from, but more than that, I want you to see that the Bible gives example after example for what we can do with our suffering. What I want you to see is that suffering doesn't come from God, but you can go to God in suffering. The source of suffering is sin. We already talked about that. Suffering does not come from God, but the example set throughout the scriptures from beginning to end is that a suffering humanity can and should feel full permission to bring their suffering to God to bring their pain to God, to bring their hurt and their burden and to lay it at his feet. What does this mean for you and me? What does this mean for you and me here today? It means very simply, you can pray your pain. You don't have to stuff it down. You don't need to just have faith. In fact, you should know that to respond to pain with prayer and lament and cry out to God, that actually is a faithful expression. That's what faith looks like sometimes. You can pray your pain, you can bring that pain, you can bring that suffering, you can bring your messy, tear-filled lament to God, and because God is a good father, because God loves you, because God really does care about suffering, God is more than willing to receive that from you. God doesn't just want your hallelujahs. God wants your help me. God wants your I need you. God wants your I don't understand this. You don't have to be a poet like the psalmist. You can kick the ground. You can throw your fists in the air. That's a faithful prayer. What does this mean for you and me? It means that you don't have to show up to church happy every week. Listen, sometimes... Sometimes you walk through those doors filled with joy and gratitude. I've had those weeks. Praise the Lord, brother. Praise the Lord, sister. Bless you. Bless me. He already did. Amen. Yes. Yes. Trust me. That's, that's good. That's all right. Know this. It is also just as valid and just as faithful to walk through those doors with a deep ache in your heart. It is just as faithful to walk through those doors with a limp because life dealt you some blows in the last week and you desperately need to be in the presence of a God who cares. Both of which are okay. Reverend Dr. Soong Chan Ra, he says, the church should be a place where the fullness of suffering is expressed in a safe environment. Because the church is the place where you can be both hurt and hopeful. You can be hurt by the brokenness of our world and be hopeful because there is a Jesus who said, fear not for I have overcome the world. And I don't know about you, 
but an environment, a safe environment where, where we can express the fullness of our suffering, I think that's the kind of church we need right now. That's the kind of church that our country needs right now. That's the kind of church I need right now. And that's the type of space that I pray that we can cultivate here today. Because the reality is, you already know this, the reality is some of you walked in here today walking through a season of suffering. Some of you got one of those calls yesterday, on Friday, this morning, before you walked in. Some of you are walking through loss, or walking through sickness, or walking through an ending that you didn't see coming. Others of you, you can't really call it a season, because if you're honest, suffering has marked your day-to-day life for as long as you can remember, because of the pain you walk around with in your body, because of the wrestling you constantly are doing in your mind, Because you feel the weight of a system that continues to deny you certain privileges or certain access or continues to not listen to your voice. For others of you, you feel the weight of the suffering of others. You feel the pain of a family member, a sick child, an aging parent. Or maybe it's someone you don't even know. Your heart is continually breaking for the community in Uvalde, Texas, or Buffalo, or Laguna Woods, or Ukraine, or any of the other many, many places in the world, many, many communities that are suffering and they just don't make it to the front page of the New York Times. I'll tell you what, I have cried more tears when prepping this message than I ever have before in my life. A little behind the scenes, I was supposed to give this message a few weeks ago But while prepping this message, I got COVID because God really wanted to teach me about suffering. (laughs) But part of my prep for this message, in addition to getting as studious as I knew how, part of my prep and part of my prayer was I, I asked God to open up my heart and my eyes to the suffering of people around me, specifically the types of suffering that I had been unaware of. And my confession to you all is, I was really shocked and even kind of disturbed by how easy it is for someone in my position to just ignore it, to turn a blind eye to it, to to just let it wash out of my mind the minute it washes out of my feed. And the real confession is, I'm not proud to admit how often I choose that route how often I choose to let myself forget. Because it's not in front of me. It's not something I have to carry. And I've asked God, God, forgive me. And God, break my heart. And I think instead of ignoring it, instead of sweeping it under the rug, or maybe, maybe for you, it's instead of letting it completely overwhelm you and drive you into hopelessness, instead of any of those reactions, I wonder if today, Soul City, I wonder if we, as a collective, as a body, I wonder if we could do what the people of God have been doing since the very beginning of time. I wonder if we could pray our pain. I wonder if we could just bring it to God. And so in just a minute, we are going to close with a song. But before we do that, I want to invite us all to pray a prayer of lament together. We're going to practice lamenting. 
And we're gonna do it in the form of a call and response prayer. Now, if you're not familiar with this type of prayer, here's what's gonna happen. There's gonna be some words. The words to the prayer are gonna come up on the screen. You'll see some lighter text. That's the part I'll read. And then you'll see some darker text. That's what we all will read together. So I'll read the lighter text. You read the darker text. Call, response. Call, response. And my encouragement to you as we do this practice of lament together, my encouragement to you is do not just let these be words on a screen. Don't just read these things because the guy on the stage with the microphone told you to. But let these words become your prayer. When something is said in this prayer that you resonate with, let that be your prayer about your situation. I encourage you to let names and faces come to mind as we read through this. And when we read something that applies to your, to your brother or to your mom or to your roommate or to your coworker, pray for your brothers and sisters who are hurting. Allow all of the communities that we've talked about, all of the people groups we've talked about, all of the others that for me, is so, they're so easy to turn a blind eye to. Allow the world's suffering to be the engine that presses these words of your prayer forward. Don't just let it be words on a screen. Let this be your sacred lament before a God who is fully ready to receive your pain in his presence. And so I would ask, if you would and if you're able, would you please stand? And you can take whatever posture you need to. Um, if you want to open up your hands, you, you can do that. If you, if you need to uh, bow your head a little bit, just make sure you can see the screen. And then we, let's pray this prayer of lament together. Heavenly Father, you are the God who hears us. Night and day, we cry out to you. God, hear our prayer of lament. God, we cry out for you to be near. Do not turn your face away from us. God, hear our prayer of lament. For the physical pain in our bodies due to sickness, injury, disability, or disease, God, we cry out for comfort. For the internal, mental, and emotional pain in us or in others, that we may never see. God, we cry out for peace, for those gripped by grief, for those tried by trials, for those lives that feel lonely, for those fighting to forgive and be forgiven. Come, God, we need you. For individuals, families, communities, neighborhoods, people groups, for all of your children who may be experiencing suffering, God, be near. For our city and our country that is suffering daily and gripped by violence, God of peace, bring your peace. For the continued oppression caused by unjust systems, God who listens, hear our prayer for the ways in which we have been complicit and complacent toward injustice. Gracious God, forgive us. For the pain and trauma caused by the church when she falls short of her call, 
God heal us, and God forgive us. For global conflicts due to violence, corruption, and natural or man-made disasters, both those in the headlines and out of the headlines, God of the universe, move in power and in love. For all that we failed to mention, and all the suffering that we still fail to see, God, open our eyes, break our hearts, extend mercy to us, and move us to heal. Father, hear our collective cry. And Jesus, we know, we know we can go to you in suffering because you came to us in ours. We know we can bring our hurt to you because ultimately hurt does not have the final word. Ultimately pain doesn't have the final word. Ultimately suffering doesn't have the final word, but because of your victory on the cross, sin does not have the final word. We are moving towards a future. We are moving towards a reality where there will be no more night. There will be no more pain. There will be no more tears. You will wipe away every tear from our eyes. And so as we live in this in-between space, we do not shy away from lament. We do not shy away from bringing our pain into your presence because you really do care. You really are hurt by it. The verse that everyone can have memorized, Jesus wept. You wept because your friends were hurting and grieving. You knew the eventual outcome, but you chose to be with us in our pain. Be with us, Lord. We need you. We need you. We need you. In Jesus' name, amen.